This is Movie Thoughts. My name is John Hastings. This is my sloppily recorded, uh, intermittently insightful podcast where I share my thoughts and opinions on movies and movie-related topics. We have a fan page on Facebook at Movie Thoughts Podcast, and you can follow up my reviews on my Letterboxd account under the username Forager23. This is the 18th episode. So for this episode, I'm going to talk about three books I've read recently. Each of them is about ma- the making of a movie. The books are The Wawa Diaries by Richard E. Grant, which is about the making of his movie Wawa. Uh, the next is Krish Nashawati's book on the making of Caddyshack. And then finally, J.W. Rinsler's book, The Making of Star Wars. Each book has a different slant, a different approach. I think each book is worthwhile regardless of your feelings about the movies themselves. I haven't actually seen Wawa, so I think it's a terrific book. I would want to see the movie now, but I haven't actually seen the movie. I think uh, Krishna Shawati's Caddyshack book, it helps if you at least like the movie or have some warm feeling towards the movie. If you really hate the movie, the book might be hard going, although I think it still has some worthwhile things. I'll talk about those. And then with Rinser's Star Wars book, I think actually I might recommend it especially to people who hate the movie uh, just because I think it does a great job of de- kind of uh, removing the movie from this kind of big this, this kind of removing some of the mythic power from the movie I think that could be useful for uh, people who are feel strongly about it both in both directions so we'll start I want to talk about uh, each in turn we'll talk about the Wawa Diaries first this is a a kind of memoir by Richard E. Grant and uh, this is his one and only uh, movie as a director Grant is much more much better known or his career is bigger for his, for his performances as an actor and in fact I listened to it as an audiobook and he reads it himself and that's a pretty nice vocal performance um, so I recommend the audiobook version of it although I think it would hold up pretty well on the page as well I think it's a really great book a great making of memoir it really goes through in with some detail and with um, a lot of thoughtfulness about his the entire process of creating the movie he starts with that initial idea and the pitch to to some producers he takes us through the problems he had with kind of turning it from an idea into an actual you know filmable script Um, there's lots of drama around the pre-production and casting especially the casting decisions that's that takes up a lot of the the space of the book um, partly because the financing is depending on the casting and then you know and then getting into the details of the actual production and the the post-production it's a very funny book a lot of things go right for for grant but then a lot of things go wrong and the casting problems are really an especially torturous kind of uh ordeal for him because he's he keeps wooing these actors and he keeps being rejected and because like they said the financing is depending on the casting it the he's he gets um more and more uh more and more despairing that the movie's really going to ever be made i think it's one of the definitely one of the better accounts of the ins and outs of what it means to be a director of a, of a movie kind of on a day-to-day basis that i've read um, you really get the sense of the things he's doing to make, to try to shape the movie to come out the way he wants to. He goes into details what he does on set and away from the set to make those things happen. It's funny. 
it's uh, like I say, it's funny, it's insightful, and um, I think it is uh, kind of again worthwhile if you're at all interested in uh, movies or, or kind of the behind the scenes stories about movies. Next up, Chris Nashawati's book on Caddyshack. So this is a more, uh, I guess, conventional or traditional making of book. It's kind of everything you would want a, in a making of a movie book. There's lots of detail about the context surrounding the making of Caddyshack. And at first, it seems maybe like too much context. I think the entire first third of the book really deals with pre-Caddyshack scene setting so the there's a lot that goes into the some some detail about the creation of the national lampoon and then the production of animal house and it seems maybe that's too much but it turns out that that ends up paying off because we get a sense of where caddyshack fits into that story and especially how uh, the the filmmaker uh, the director harold ramis and and the writer doug kenny saw it as a way to saw Caddyshack as a way to make their kind of movie after they felt they had been sidelined to a greater or lesser degree on Animal House. The book gives you lots of great anecdotes about the people involved. There's lots of good behind-the-scenes stories, the personalities of the principal characters or the principal um, participants really comes through. And part of the appeal is you get a look at Doug Kenny at work you get to compare and contrast uh, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, both as, you know, both in the, both as performers and in terms of their personalities and personal lives. You really get a good sense of what the world of comedy looked like from the inside at that time. There's other Hollywood characters who show up. Um, the producer John Peters. Uh, you get a really great little mini bio sketch of John Peters. He's a really great Hollywood character. Um, and I think that's a strength of the book that it kind of gives gives you all this uh, context to really appreciate, you know, all, all the all the background behind the people who came together to make Caddyshack. And then importantly, we get a good look at the details of the creative choices, the production details. And uh, Nashawati makes a case for why this matters. So Caddyshack was the work of a first-time director and, as I said, a writer who uh, Doug Kenny really wanted to, to felt that this was a chance to make their type of movie after Animal House had been sort of taken away from them in a way. And Ramis brought to the project ideas about improv comedy that a more experienced filmmaker would have realized were not going to fly. And a lot of the ideas didn't fly. Um, We see that the the filmmakers find themselves struggling to make a story, uh, to make a real movie out of their jokes. And some people say they didn't succeed. Uh, I think the rambling style works for the movie, but that's um, my take. Um, but you, you know, it becomes a kind of a worthwhile story of people trying to do something different, and the 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 risks of that, and the uh, and perhaps the 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 benefits too. Uh, the book does have some limitations. Uh, namely, Nashawati's vision of the history of film and of the history of comedy is pretty narrow. He, When he talks about improv in movies, he only goes back a few years. There's no sense from him that he knows that like ad-libbing, ad-libbing and improv really goes back to the earliest Hollywood comedies. And I've always thought that it's best to look at Caddyshack and these other anarchic comedies of the late 
70s and early 80s as being a return to the anarchic comedies of the 1930s. But Nashawati doesn't have that type of historical sensibility, at least it's not in the book. Um, the book really simplifies things. There's this kind of sense of traditional comedy that, that's just blown out of, the, out of the water by National Lampoon, SNL-style comedy of the late 60s and early 70s. And so he makes some comments that I scratched my head about, like at one point he lumps Blake Edwards' movies in with these unhip movies of traditional comedy that aren't hit, hitting with audiences anymore and uh, were kind of swept away by, by SNL and the, the, the SNL performers. But then he later talks about how Blake Edwards' 10 is this huge hit and you know, a bigger hit than Caddyshack. So I'm not sure kind of what he means um, does he mean that Edwards suddenly became hip or does he mean that he, he you know, is he just kind of confused about, you know, who or, or how these m other movies worked or does he have a really superficial take on kind of what audiences were responding to? I don't know. I think if he was thinking more systematically and historically about these issues, he'd be on sure ground and I wouldn't have scratched my head like that. I think this is a very easy book to recommend if you like Caddyshack already. I, I don't necessarily love Caddyshack. I'm not a super fan, but I like it. Um, I think, and I think it was a really worthwhile read. Uh, it's harder to take, I think, if you abs absolutely hate Caddyshack, although I would maybe argue that the book does such a good job with so much of the context with the history of the National Lampoon and with the post-Saturday Night Live comedy scene that it might be worth it for that alone. I think he ends up overstating the case of why the movie itself may be important, but I think that's a, a kind of expected pitfall in this kind of book. If you're going to go all in and write an entire book on a movie, it's probably because you really have some passion for the movie, so I can't fault him too much there. Even if it overstates the case for the movie, I think the book easily makes the case for why it's an interesting movie to look at at this level of detail. And talking about level of detail, that brings us to The Making of Star Wars uh, by J.W. Rinsler. This is pretty different than the other two books. Rinsler takes much more of a just the facts ma'am approach. There is not the type of context you get from the, um, the Caddyshack book. We get a little bit about the movies Lucas was making before he started on Star Wars, and we get bits and pieces about the state of special effects prior to the setup of Industrial Light and Magic, but that info is kind of parsed out as needed. You know, if uh, if, if if you're following Nashawati's approach, it would be to, you know, start with like a, a little mini biography of George Lucas and then a short history of the prior 10 years of special effects works in Hollywood, and Rinsler doesn't do any of that. And in part, I think, you know, he doesn't need to. We're supposed to know the context for Star Wars, um, or at least the book is written for people who already have some knowledge about the basic setup. And he has a lot to get through on his own, so he really doesn't have time for that. The book is based on his access to lots of primary sources, lots of production documents and images, and most especially and importantly, access to these interviews that were conducted with the cast and crew during production, uh, or right after production, or right right around the time of release of the movie. And that's important and a real key to what makes the book valuable. It's full of these candid comments by the people involved well before they would have had any sense that Star Wars was going to be a phenomenon, even when it's 
ultimate success or failure was still very much up in the air, it really dials down into the production details far more than the other books I've talked about so far. It goes day by day almost through the shoot. All of the major struggles of both pre- and post-production are dealt with in a lot of detail. This may sound like too much, and especially if you don't like Star Wars, but I think it really works and does something really valuable. It doesn't, it because it's not just providing the details, although it, it is kind of give you all these details, but it ends up reclaiming Star Wars from the world of myth. And by myth, I mean that kind of mythical totemic power we give to Star Wars as uh, from for its fans as this type of um, religious power almost. And then for the folks who hate it, um, this totemic power that it's the cause or the symbol of all that went wrong in movies. So by sticking to this day-by-day accounting of the choices made by mainly by Lucas, and you get a really good sense of what it means to be an auteur, uh, by the way, so uh, someone who's the, whose sensibility is shaping everything, even while he's working with a huge team of collaborators. Um, but just by sticking to this day-to-day accounting of, of the choices made by Lucas and his collaborators, you know, it appears really as a movie, just like any other movie made by people, it doesn't come as uh it's not something that comes out of the blue um it it's not something that kind of was you know transmitted uh, from heaven down through lucas and to the fans directly and it doesn't come off as this uh, nefarious plan to remake the world of movies in its own image by sticking to the interviews from during the production the the impressions of the people involved, the, their comments, are not influenced by the movie's eventual financial success or its kind of cultural dominance. And you know, I, I was reminded by um, I was reminded by another uh, book that had a similar function. Um, Rinsler's prose is pretty basic and functional. It doesn't have the poetic clarity of uh, Peter Gralnick's biography of Elvis Presley, but it it ends up at a similar place in that it takes a larger-than-life institution and makes it human-sized again. I came away from the book doubly impressed by Lucas's filmmaking skills and instincts. He was not making a movie in a lot of ways that people had made them before. He was doing some things very differently, especially when it comes to the effects work, and he really had to push for doing it his way. And, you know, you get the sense of why he stepped away from directing for the next 20 years, because that struggle uh, really wore him out. Why would I recommend this to the haters? You know, I think it would does shake away this idea that the the movie is a calculated attempt to derail the new Hollywood. I think it does give a good sense of the actual aesthetic judgments driving the movie that these are real choices and these are uh, a lot of thought has gone into them. I don't think that that kind of getting that context or getting those details would means that I think you'd necessarily like the movie. I don't think it would convince you to like the movie if you think it's garbage. Um, I just think it would help get rid of its it, that, like I say, that totemic power of the, that it's this uh, movie that's beyond movies um, in terms of its uh, effect. 
uh, and I would recommend fans read it for the same reasons, uh, to see that it is not a movie that was handed down from above. You know, you you see that elements that would become very central to a lot of internet arguments over Star Wars lore. A lot of these, a lot of the lore came about due to chance and contingencies. Lucas's original vision shifted and changed as he met with the realities of, you know, how do you write and produce a movie? That he had some ideas of where he wanted his saga to go, um, but, you know, he didn't really have it laid out in any real detail. So, for example, the decision to have Darth Vader be Luke's father isn't even made in the in the course of this book that comes for when the work was started on the sequel. So I think, like I say, the a, a really good book to get rid of some of this totemic power of Star Wars and an interesting book about filmmaking in its own right, um, you know, about the choices made to make a complicated um, kind of technologically uh, advanced production happen. I recommend all three books. I think they have each has their own individual virtues to offer. I think that anyone interested in film and kind of behind-the-scenes stories and the making of movies would be, uh, I think it would be worth your time to to uh, read them or listen to the audiobook in the case of The Wawa Diaries. And that's all I have for today. Take care.